Welcome to OK Video, podcasting live from Calgary, Alberta. OK, we aren't live, but this week's recording session is much closer to our release window <laughs> than normal, uh, thanks to some medical scares. I'm Nathan Rohr, and the Rocky View General is now the local hospital I've spent the most time in. I'm joined, as always, by Ryan McCullough, one of my visitors at Unit 93 this past week. Hey there, Ryan here. Yes, yes. Uh, it's actually, it's the most local to me, so it actually worked out really well. Because it's like, mm-hmm. I was like a seven minute drive to go to the hospital. But yeah, no, and it was we... the best waiting time in the city by like three hours or something. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why I chose it. We are definitely, this is the, I think the closest we've ever cut an episode recording to air date. Yeah. In our history. Because when we first started, we were like four weeks ahead, right? We were trying to always maintain a buffer of like three, four weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Just to have some flexibility in case something were to happen yeah i mean we started this and then the we kind of had two things happen this year already with like we had a bit of a covid scare yes and now i had this like weird allergic well, we reaction had a to COVID some medicine scare one after another you had a covid scare then i yeah. had a covid scare and then you immediately afterwards then had to go to the hospital with a reaction so it was like january was like and into february was a rough like recording month like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and We prepared everything like I I watched the movie like with rashes starting to spread on my body like the (laughs) night before. Oh, yeah. That's the thing. It was was, we were going to record on the Monday and it was Sunday night that you watched and then Monday afternoon you're like. No, Sunday night you're like. I gotta gotta go check in at the hospital, probably get some lotion or something. Yeah. And then it was just like, oh, no, you can't leave here. Like, yeah. you, you have to stay. And it's like, oh, okay. Eight days later. like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So F- fully admitted into the ward for uh, observations and tons of tests, tons of blood tests. So, so I mean, there was one yeah. point that I considered bringing the, some equipment and just like, hey, what if we record here in the hospital? But then I was so like, I was wearing so much PPE that I was like, like, there's no way I was going to come out as not a garbled monster that Just was like m- muffled <laughs> yeah. and yeah. And so. then that room is pretty large, probably some weird echoes and stuff. I had thought about it, but I never voiced it either because yeah. it was like, I mean, we, I guess we can visit done... for long periods of time. We could do it, we but it would probably like be terrible. Lo-fi episode where we just recorded a phone conversation and it was mm-hmm. just like a really painful thing to listen to, but we got through it and we, I mean, that was like kind of worst case scenario because even you getting out when you did, you weren't certain that that was going to happen. Sure. Yeah. It, it was a bit of a process getting discharged also, uh, so I can recover at home, but I'm okay enough to talk about snakes. Yes. So, well, and here's the thing. This is also the, the longest amount of time that we've watched a movie and then talked about it. Yeah. So, so this, it's a memorable this, movie. this conversation, which it's good because I've seen that we've seen, we both seen this movie multiple times. So it's okay. Luckily it wasn't like the lake house where if we've only seen it once two weeks ago, that it would be a rougher situation. But we've seen, I saw Anaconda when it came out and now I've, oh, I shouldn't say which one we're doing, but we're, anyways, I saw this movie multiple times. So it's, it's still like, it might not be super fresh from this most recent, but I've seen it. So. Okay. Anyways, uh, I'm Ryan and I'm here with my friend, Nathan. <laughs> Yeah, I was wondering if you'd pick up the same piece. Uh, yes, this week we finally get to talk about Anaconda, uh, directed by Louis Losa and written by Hans Bauer and the writing duo Jim Cash and Jack Epps Jr. Uh, it came out April 11th, 97, 
costs $45 million, and I'm pretty sure it holds the title as, like, the biggest snake movie ever <laughs> uh, at $136.8 million total. That's 65.8 domestic, 71 international. Uh, definitely outpacing Snakes on a Plane and, like, its own sequels. <laughs> so I feel yeah. like it's, Which it's only, pretty solid. Only one of the sequels was, like, went to theaters. Yeah, the so. Blood Orchid. Yeah, Anaconda's Hunt for the Blood Orchid. Yeah, yeah, which to- uh, I did see eventually at some point too. But whatever, we'll we'll just talk about the original. Uh, but yeah, if you want to give us the the summary here for sure, uh, and then we'll get into Roger Ebert and on the connection to that stuff, which for we sure. should probably establish. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, Anaconda is about a giant snake who eats, who wants to eat and then re-eat as many people as possible in the Amazon with John Voight, Ice Cube, and J-Lo. But here's what Roger had to say. Anaconda is an example of one of the hardest kinds of films to make, a superior mass audience entertainment. It has the effects and the thrills, but also has the big laughs, quirky dialogue, and a gruesome imagination. You've got to like a film where a lustful couple sneaks out into a dangerous jungle at night and suddenly the guy whispers, wait, did you hear that? Silence. And that guy was uh, Owen Wilson. Yeah, also Owen Like Wilson. a pretty early juncture here. Yeah, like, like just just post Rocket Bottle Center. Rocket. Yeah, Bottle Rocket, right. And yeah, then yeah. not even like, was he in Rushmore? Probably oh. a bit role, right? I could see him having a small role in Rushmore because he's part of that crew, but I don't remember. <laughs> but like pre pre Zoolander, yeah. pre Shanghai Noon, exactly. Uh, but yes, uh, some some other notes I have from Ebert. One is really early. Uh, it's describing this like opening assertion the movie makes, and it's like text that uh, Anaconda will regurgitate their prey in order to eat again. I heard a chuckle in the theater. It came from me. <laughs> I sensed with a deep certainty that before the movie was over, I would see an anaconda regurgitate its prey, human prey, preferably. Yeah. So I just feel like seconds into this movie, Ebert like found the correct wavelength to be on and enjoyed what was going on. And the quote, which... the quote is actually, I love the quote. It says, alone among snakes, anacondas are unique. After eating their prey, they regurgitate it in order to eat again. Like it's, yeah, it's just such a well-written it's something. <laughs> yeah, it's just like it is a great way to open this movie because you do it like it immediately sets up this idea in your head that what you're gonna see is this, and then, but like it's like, also it, kind of ballsy because you can like have a vivid imagination and they'd have to pull it off some way. But in all honesty, they kind of pulled it off. Like it's a pretty fun scene. Yeah, I I forgot about this opening scroll. I thought it was really funny. <laughs> Like that they're just laying like we need to establish a little bit how cruel and sinister anacondas are before we get into our movie. Like I don't while recall Jaws being, doing no, that. While also being like loving a family unit who stick around with each other and like defend one another and like take revenge out when one of the other one's killed. Like there it's both. Like the anaconda is really like a multifaceted layered character in this film oh the the anacondas i thought you were talking about like the family of no. documentary filmmakers no, and how they the, work the anacondas because there's one anaconda for most of the movie and then it gets killed and then the another anaconda comes out to like take I, I had a question about that like i wasn't so they they do successfully shoot and kill that one anaconda that's what happened i believe so because there's a different color scheme okay okay like well, there's one I that's just, green and then the other one's black and orange 
just towards the end, once they get to like the final battle place, they find like a snake skin. Oh yeah. And like, oh dude. And I thought I was like, whoa, are they implying like that other snake healed itself by like shedding its skin? No, and its no. Back I think they. Action? I think they. They were confirming that there's more than one anaconda. Okay. Because like, there's another one that's even bigger, and we just found its skin. That is what that is the case because the first one's not nearly as big as the second, the final one. Because okay. that final one like goes all the way up that smoke stack. It's <laughs> kind of crazy. They they do seem to imply that there's a family going on because there are dozens of like little snakes at this barrier that they blow up. Uh, so like spawning has happened there are there are many snakes to be had well and i think they Uh, confirm it even by just the sequel finally being called anacondas because this one this one's kind of implying there's only one shark but then the secret twist is that actually there's a second shark over here type of thing yeah so uh okay i i guess i was i was pretty rapidly on board with this too like the opening scene is danny trejo like panicking it's so great because like so they do a couple of really classic um, creature feature film things where it's like it's a lot of first person first person's perspective shots of the creature stalking yeah. Danny Trejo, but you get like zero violence, zero anything, just Danny Trejo freaking out on a boat as it slowly sinks, and it's like Danny Trejo is actually pretty solid sometimes. Like he's a good actor. Like he knows how to like sink into like this is like he's having a fun time. I, mm-hmm. I, was I having... feel generally it's kind of like he's in his comfort zone and he's playing some like hard edged criminal or something. Like, or he's, he's playing against type and he's playing a funny like he'll play like opposite Uncle of that. Rico or yeah whatever. he'll like he'll like be he'll be like look hard edged but then he'll be super friendly and kind. So he like he plays no one sorry two it's Uncle Machete. Yes that's what it is it's Uncle Machete. He's still yeah. Machete in all of it. But yes so he's either playing like a hard edged like badass who can do anything or the soft kinded hearted uncle who is like super friendly with all the kids but looks hard so the fact Mm -hmm. that here he is not playing that but i think we have to forget like he had a whole career before robert rodriguez showed up and made gave him a career as a as like a character actor as like like a lead actor really like because he has two machete films well that's after though that's 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 what i'm saying like thanks to rodriguez yeah yeah but but like that's what robert rodriguez gave him like he gave him a character actor and then made him a lead actor before all of that he was just like a bit actor in things like that, Johnny well, Roses, sure. right? He was Johnny Roses in Con Air. The same year as this, yeah. We'll see him as this creepy criminal oh, in the, Con Air. Like, yeah, like honestly, like when I watched the movie the first time, they were supposed to like the creepy criminal was supposed to be Steve Buscemi, mm-hmm. but like Johnny Roses, like really, like early, ugh. like the way he like licked the girl's face and was like, "I'm gonna add another rose." Is like this is gross. This is yeah, this is a little he's... too gross for how fun of a movie this is. Yeah. Anyways, this movie opens I'm, with. I'm ass- I have to assume that's a couple months after this. This this kind of strikes me April. as an August movie, but this is April. Yeah, it's an April yeah. movie, and then yeah, no Conair because Conair came out like three weeks before Face Off. Mm-hmm. They're both in June. Uh, okay. Uh, Ebert highlights a few people. He talks a lot about Bill Butler, uh, the cinematographer, and mm-hmm. like describes like the movie as being beautifully photographed, uh, which. There are moments where it's like, like there, there are moments where I'm like, wow, this kind of looks like a soundstage or something. This looks a little janky. But then there's other stuff where it's like, no, that's just undeniably the Amazon. Like we're flying over it and showing off some big wide shots of a boat setting out to adventure. Like, and that's fun. I don't. Watching this movie through, I read the review first and then I watched the movie. I was yeah. looking for these beautiful shots he kept talking about. 
Okay. And I was like, the wide shots are, yeah, they're, they're clearly beautiful, but is it like good camera work or is it just like, let's put a camera up high over something beautiful and then like. It's hard to screw up, like yeah. just show off some of the Like planets. the only way to screw like, up is like if you get mostly horizon and not the, like the land, but that's any, any camera person could do that. So then like, mm-hmm. I was like paying attention to when we're on the boat or like in the Amazon and I was like, it's just. Like, the Amazon's a beautiful thing to look at from afar, but when you're on those mud rivers, it's just a lot of brown and green. Like, that's a lot of mud Yeah, river. yeah. I mean, I guess I, I kind of still like that going up the river type premise of, like, we're we're lost in the jungles mm-hmm. and being led astray by this, this amazing character we'll get to. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's... It, I guess it, it was really those few scenes where we're flying over everything and like Randy Edelman's music gets to be at its cheesiest yes. and it just gets to like, like this is where it, I get like, I got the high adventure style he talks about. He describes the acting that way as being like high adventure. Yeah. Like which... all of the characters are tropes or archetypes, right? Like they're, there's no depth. Like every character represents a feature in a story that like if you like from the opening scenes, like, you can tell he, who's going to get yeah. sick. Who's going to get, like, who's going to be the hero? Who's going to be the hurt person who dies? Like, who's going to be like, the one who Like, we only have 90 minutes here. You need to, like, be able to establish a person in, like, five seconds. Like, you just look at him, and you're like, something's off with this boat pilot. Yeah. He's, he's not trustworthy. Yeah. I know that. Because like, he's just looking kind of vaguely Well, no, no, but if you look time. at the opening scenes, like, who is, like, greasy, sweaty, and it's the only the boat pilot? Everybody else mm-hmm. is just, like, sweaty, but he's, like, glistening sweaty, and you're like... Oh, that guy's skeezy. Like that's that yeah. movie, and his hair him. is more bedraggled than yeah. it should be. So that something's wrong with this. He hasn't guy. showered in days. Everybody else showered that morning, type of thing. Mm-hmm. He showed up mm-hmm. clean. Um, <laughs> and then when we meet Ice Cube, like I'm, his first line is just like, "Yeah, today's a good day." Like he's just kind <laughs> of alluding to his rap career. Oh man, uh, which this made me whole smile. movie is yeah. a, like one giant allusion to his rap career. Cause like, and just yeah, his there's toughness. the one scene. My, one of my favorite scenes is the scene where uh, he's playing his 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 rap music, and mm-hmm. uh, John Voight does not like it, and he's like, "Whoa, stop it, man! This is good music." He wrote that song. He, he wrote and produced that song. that song. He didn't perform yeah. it, which I was like, "Okay, it's good that he's not performing on it." Like that's his one step too song, far. And he's just yeah, but it effectively is his own song that he's saying, "Hey, no, this is my stuff right here. Yeah, don't touch my radio. Don't touch like, my radio. This is this on. is good stuff." And you're like, "You wrote that song, right?" And then I had to look it up. Like I literally didn't know that, and then I went to looked it up, and it was like, "Oh no, it's this other song wrapped by this other guy, uh, Faux Life by Mac Ten." Written by uh, Ice Cube and Mac-10. Ice so. Cube. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So Ice Cube's fully Ice Cube. He's wearing, like, Crips colors, <laughs> and he's got his knife. Yeah. Uh, and he's ready He's ready to tussle with Wait, anybody. Wait, is he a Crip? But apparently. <laughs> I thought he's... Yeah, I guess so. I mean, Snoop Dogg's a Crip. We know this now. Mm-hmm. Because Super Bowl. I mean, you can wear whatever bandana you need to in the jungle. <laughs> But it just seems thoughtful. But in like chosen. 1996? When they're filming it, presumably. Yeah, yeah, 1996, 1997, Ice Cube would have been like. No, I gotta get. I gotta get this is a right. blue bandana, like, and it would be yeah, like a thing. Yeah. 
Uh, uh, and his character's name is Danny, which totally threw me later in the movie when they were shouting for him. And I was like, wow, I thought his name was Gary. Because <laughs> that's uh, Owen Wilson's character's name. Yeah. And they got introduced around the same time. And I just got my wires crossed. So, Well, also, none of them have names. Like, there's still ice, it's still Ice Cube and it's J-Lo. And his John yeah. Boyd. Like, I don't uh, remember their names. E- Ebert makes a very great salient observation about the cast. It's just like, if the cast seemed large, reflect that some, perhaps many, of these characters are required so that they can be eaten by snakes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, why is there, like, a production assistant and, like, an, two narrators and, like, a scientist? Yeah. It's like, we need these people because there's going to be snakes and they need to eat somebody. So. Yeah, like, you can't just, like, uh, in all fairness... You, in a horror, in a movie like this, you have to make one of two choices, and like Friday Thirteenth does this, where it's like you either have a big group of friends go to a party, or you have a small group of friends and then a bunch of random like hikers or campers <laughs> or people that break down the side of the road for 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 Jason to kill because you have yeah. to have bodies. And this movie is like ballsy enough to say, no, we're gonna have a full cast of characters, not just random people that the snake eat, the snake eats along the way characters mm-hmm. whereas like friday 13's like they couldn't be bothered with introducing people with names so literally it's like camping person one camping person two broken down van person one broken down van person two and then they get killed by jason it's like yeah. you have to make those choices and they made their choices so they're all intrinsic no, to the plot i applaud it like it it makes some sense they're still a pretty lean crew like they're ostensibly filming a documentary about some lost tribe that exists in this uh remote part of the amazon jungle mm-hmm. uh eric stoltz is uh he has to have like a real easy shooting schedule because he is basically like passed out for 90 percent of the movie <laughs> like, like literally and oh man okay do you, what is your opinion on Eric Stoltz? Like, what if, what's your his uh, what's your big interaction with him as a, as an actor? Man, like, I'm trying to think where I would have actually seen him. Like, some kind of wonderful. Yeah, that's a like big one. Big one. Yeah, yeah. I never saw Mask. You know that. No. Oh, I saw Mask as a thing. kid, but it's it's one of those roles where you're like, oh, that was Eric Stoltz because he's in heavy makeup. Heavy makeup right? the whole time, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it. Like looking back on it, it just looks like it might strike a sentimental tone for me that I'll find really weird. Yeah, watch watch into. Elephant Man instead, type of thing as well. So yeah, yeah. Uh, and then just like he was the guy that got replaced as Marty. He was know? okay. So the other one's Fly <laughs> Two. He is the son of uh, Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis for Fly Two, which I own. It's true. Yeah. It's it's on our long list of things to maybe look at one day. Yes. <laughs> so, um. Yeah. But yeah, no, that is that is that's exactly the point where like this is the man who got fired more than halfway through production on Back to the Future because mm-hmm. he was joyless. Like he was Well, I've heard two things. It was like his chemistry with like Leah Thompson was too palpable. Like it would be creepy. It wouldn't be funny. Okay. You know what I mean? That's that that's probably the, the line that he fed around the Hollywood. Okay. Whereas like what I've only heard from like uh Robert Zemeckis uh what's the who's the other writer bob bob gale bob gale yeah and uh like christopher lloyd was that like he played his his bit more straight like was really like too serious right yeah yeah like even no who was the main one it was um uh who's oh my goodness all these names are leaving my brain today who plays george george Crispin. mcfly yeah crispin glover. glover crispin glover was like yeah he was just like playing it way too straight in those scenes with him where like crispin's mm. hamming it up and it was like so they they went more than halfway through production. They hired Michael J. Fox and like 
Christopher Lloyd recounts that like he was like this movie's gonna be like doomed because this is like a really bad decision to recast somebody this late into a movie, and obviously went on to become a giant movie. But I saw some of the dailies between the two, and it's like oh, Zemeckis should have probably made this decision really early on because I think I think they were kind of hoping for Michael J. It was like it was something with his TV scheduling yeah. opened up. Yeah, yeah, like he like was, he was busy choice. when when yeah. production start was happening. There he was busy. And so they went with Eric Stoltz, and then eventually they were like, this is not working. Like, this isn't yeah. working. And then by that time... I mean, time, for this, Eric kind of has to just establish himself as like, I know what's going on, and I have experience in the jungle. And then this, like, rogue wildcard character comes in to kind of oust him and take him out of the out of the proceedings for a good chunk of the movie, and then he comes back at the very end. Which is crazy. So, so this, this plot point is actually kind of nutso to me. So, because, like, early in the movie when John Voight first shows up, he says some stuff that Eric Stoltz is able to, like, science and history like, yeah, his way he's around. skeptical about it. It's like, really? Because I didn't, I didn't hear that about that tribe. I don't know if that's yeah. true. Yeah, so, kind of obviously, yeah. John Voight's like, I have to take this guy to the equation to make my scheme work. Yeah. But <laughs> the moment that Eric Stoltz gets taken out of the picture, John Voight becomes, like, evil. And I'm like, why wouldn't you take out the strong guy then? Because Eric Stoltz is like, who cares about his intellect because it's Ice Cube and... That you would be scared of physically. Physically, yeah. But he, he, I guess he's more intellectually intimidated by Eric Stoltz. Like, he knows he could out him to the whole group, and then he'd be done. But he outs himself to the whole group pretty quickly. <laughs> um, He is definitely super shady. Like No, but I mean, like, like literally, us, like, the he gets hurt. He gets yeah. hurt, and then they, they're like, oh, the quickest way back home is if we go back the way we just came, the way I wanted to go in the first place. And that would be mm-hmm. like the giant red flag being like, oh, you did this to him. So we had to go your way. Okay. Like, yeah, let's, let's, you are the bad guy. Like, that's the biggest no, red yeah. flag. Fortunately, these characters aren't detectives. So we get to have this all play out very quickly. Uh, yeah. Paul Cerrone uh, is, his boat broke down on the side of the river uh, and he desperately needs their help and joins, joins the crew. And uh eric stoltz is kind of improbably stung by a very dangerous wasp while he's scuba diving uh yes and this, no one so really this is uh this is based on a, how that went on yeah, this, yeah how eric stoltz gets hurt this is based on like an urban myth that like mm-hmm. doesn't actually exist in reality it could happen well, but it's like oh i think only happened once ever Wait, are you talking about the urethra thing he says yes. or the lips thing that actually happened? Oh no, the urethra thing that he says. Yeah, no, he's he talk he drops this line about uh the thing he's the most afraid about in the jungle is something swimming up his urethra and like l- lodging in there and the pain would be excruciating or well, something. Well, and then the only way to get it is to cut it out type of thing. That was the line. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, does maybe, not happen. That made made film. a grade 6 grade 5 6 Ryan queasy in the movie theater like just like, oh, I don't want to swim in a river ever. I don't know that that line of like and cut it out was like immediately cut to like the visual image. And I was like, oh, man, I might pass out like that is yeah. <laughs> just thinking. about uh, it. So, yeah, no, what actually happens is a wasp gets put in his yes. mouthpiece while he's trying to fix the boat m- engine. Yeah. Uh, and then he's just passed out. And th- I guess this was another kind of one of those like medical tidbits I'd heard and it's it's almost like stop, drop, and roll or like uh, quicksand or something where it's like, oh, if your throat closes, you need to jam a pen through your throat so you can breathe. Yeah, that's a, it's a called a tracheotomy. Mm-hmm. Every single uh, like doctor, if you've seen any like medical drama, 
at least yeah. once or twice a season, there's a dude who's like, oh, he's, he can't breathe. And they take a knife and then they take a pen or a straw and they put it in there and they're like, he can breathe now. And you're like, phew, good thing yeah. I was here on this but airplane or whatever. I have a friend yeah, who's a, yeah. I have a friend who once told me like, as like an EMS person, like I've never, a, I've never seen anyone do that. Also, we would never do that because the risk of infection is crazy high. Mm-hmm. And like what you end up, I think there's another way of dealing with it that's like way more safe than just cutting a person open and jamming and something cutting into the below throat. where the throat closed. Yeah, yeah. So John Voight is willing to provide that service for Eric Stoltz, and then he's basically just in some bedroom for most of the movie yeah. with occasional check-ins by the cast to make sure he's okay. Put a wet rag on his head or something. Yes. Uh, but he's he's basically out of the picture, and then yeah, Voight takes over. <laughs> Okay, part okay. One of the one of the like dicey things about this movie is like, is John Voight's performance kind of racist? Maybe is he? He's this, trying to play like French, like Creole but, like, from Paraguay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like white, but white. Yeah. In my mind, it's like part of the con of Paul Cerrone is like pretending to be <laughs> from this region, but he. And it's, he doesn't change his accent when he fully Very, like reveals like, the con. He's kind of doing an accent though, and he's doing no, this, like, like that's what I mean. Like that's thing. what's great about this performance is like there isn't really a consistent accent. There isn't mm-hmm. even like a, a he has his eye twitch that like his his one of his left eye is often really like nearly shut, but that's not even throughout the whole movie. Like there's sometimes <laughs> where his eyes are just wide open. And you're like, what's going or on with your flare, eye? If he'll flare them open for like dramatic effect, yeah, a hundred percent. Somebody, because um, <laughs> yeah. then he fully yeah. winks with that same eye, like, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, how are you able to? If you don't have much motion because you have to keep it shut, why are you? How are you winking? Anyways, mm-hmm. uh, John Voight's like understanding of the assignment is my favorite part of this movie. Like he, he, yeah, he fully gets what he's there for. Uh, uh, from what I understand, uh, this, where does Ebert describe it? Give me a second. Oh, okay. Sorry. He it's in but in complimenting the director, he says like he allows Voigt to take some chances with his performance. Uh Voigt's River Rat is always on the delectable edge of overacting. Yeah. <laughs> which I think is fair. Like he'll have like he is undeniably like entertaining in his line deliveries and how he's interacting with the cast. Yeah. But like it's so goofy. <laughs> It's so it, no no it's it so goofy. You wrong, but here's the thing like, though, Nathan. Like yeah. I think I think what Roger's hitting the nail on is like when you look at J Lo or Ice Cube or Eric or like even Owen Wilson and Carrie uh, Woo Her Her. Yeah, they're all a little too self serious sometimes in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like that, like you need the in like the inflection of uh, John Voight's like reaction, and even uh, what's his face like the. The David Attenborough ripoff character. Yeah, Jonathan Hyde's character, Warren Westridge, I think is like the first character we meet that's like in that Gilgan's Island type yes. mode or something where it's like, oh, this is so like, I can't work in these conditions. Like, yeah, he understands. Fastidious. I think Jonathan yeah. Hyde also understood the assignment of like this movie needs like because Roger Ebert writes like there's laugh out loud moments. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't think you're laughing ever at any like line delivery that J Lo or Ice Cube says, like any joke that's being said. I think you're laughing at how absurd like Paul, like Paul, John Voight's character is, and Jonathan Hyde's characters are giving their lines and being in their scenes and stuff like that. Because those are the funnest parts of the movie, or or the situations they've cooked up for their characters, yes. like just putting them in over their heads and whatever. 
yeah, and <laughs> like yeah, Jonathan Hyde, I guess, like does get overshadowed at at a point in the movie, but I still enjoyed him kind of like poking his head in with like an espresso cup yes. to kind of like s- like observe the the stuff going on on the boat or whatever. Like a hoity British annoyed. man. Who yeah. like just like oh he's out of his element but he's trying so hard to be David Attenborough like he does so mm-hmm. desperately like it's almost in this universe David Attenborough Jr. does exist and this man just really wants to be him but has no none of the sensibilities that David Attenborough has in real life to like be in the wilderness and while he's just like he wants to still play golf and drink tea and eat crumpets. Like he would rather just they go out and shoot this footage and he gets to read this from the studio. Yeah, like he gets green screened <laughs> in or something like that. Like he. He he wants his niceties, and whereas David Attenborough kind of gets the assignment of like, no, if you're gonna do this job, you kind of have to go out and be out there type an of adventurer a little bit yeah. more than this guy. Yeah, uh, yeah, and he he gets uh probably the coolest snake death like late in the movie. It's probably in all the trailers, like the midair grab. Yeah, the catch from the tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which uh, is thoroughly satisfying or something like like ebert credits the snakes as being thoroughly satisfying yeah i uh, my favorite snake death is is a different one but yes that one is good though it's it's a headline one anyway Uh, (laughs) um no it's the like when i look at the list of the people that they wanted to get instead of john voight it makes sense Mm -hmm. that john voight would be fifth on their list but it's like I've heard like it says like John like Sean Connery turned it down, Tommy Lee Jones turned it down, John Malkovich turned it down, Jean Renault turned it down. And I'm like, out of that list, I think John Malkovich is maybe the only other person that would have gotten the assignment, as well as uh John. Like Voight. he has a kind of wild energy that he can use. So if he found it here, uh we might not have gotten Cyrus the virus then. <laughs> if Which that is had yeah. happened. So that kind of worked out for our favorite fans of like bad nineties villains. Um, yeah yeah but like tommy lee kind of gets the wrong manic energy sometimes like sometimes mm-hmm. it works for him like i would make the argument that like his villainy in under siege is like a good manic energy like i think it's fun because that movie needs some levity and because like on one side you have just like the dullest like steven seagal stuff happening and then the other side you have gary Busey and tommy lee jones just like hamming it up through like the, the villain sure side. sure but then yeah. like sean connery would not have gotten this i mean he would have played it so straight and like yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, he's been like he was a villain in a really bad, campy movie like The Avengers with Uma Thurman and whatever. Yep. And I can't remember. I I remember that his character had a weather machine. I don't remember him like maniacally laughing or bringing anything to that. But that like, movie kind of like there failed on their assignment too. To I me. have not seen it in twenty four years. I remember liking it. Okay. <laughs> so, Good for you. I did not. I did not enjoy it. Um, I was on my own island on that one. Yes. But, but yeah. um. No, and then like uh, Jean Reno, I don't know what Jean Reno would have done with this role. Like, I don't know what he. Would I don't have done know. With this. I can't really imagine it. Yeah, <laughs> no, I can imagine only like the Polynesian, like French side of things. But like, oh, okay, it wouldn't be a fake accent for him, like because that's who he no, is. He has he that French accent, Creole something. Yeah. But he yeah. would. But yeah, no, I- I'm happy that John Voight got the role and like understood the assignment and pulled this performance out because it is. I love how they use him too, because like. Like we said with, like, the pilot character or whatever, like, you just need to look at John Voight's character to know he's up to no good at all. Like, well, he'll that's just his have, eye like, thing. He's got one like, shifty intense... eye. Just like... <laughs> but, the, like, there was one scene where they kind of are, like, panning across the boat, and there's, like, Gary and some other characters are talking about what they're going to get up to. I think they're going to record some audio or something. Mm-hmm. And then it, like, 
drops down and in the foreground in like a hammock is John Voight with like his eyes open and he's like yeah. like I'm listening that's like okay like I know you're evil but it's it was still so fun for them to just kind of like I don't know if you know but this guy is not on the level yeah. and like play that a couple times before it's obvious to the characters also yeah uh, which takes a long time like he gets away with some nefarious business before before j-lo and danny te- like realize it and then team up with westridge to kind of sting him mm-hmm. which i thought was an okay little scene yeah where they they kind of like seem to imply their plan failed but then westridge hits him from behind with like a crutch or something like it was always part of the scheme to fail at a point and then still knock him out yeah uh and, and <laughs> yeah then he's tied up but still a threat because he can just kind of scare anybody he's talking to like carrie werger's character or whatever like she's she's coming to murder him and then he just kind of psychs her out yes it's just like you should never look in the eyes of someone you're gonna kill (laughs) it's like okay yeah like the guy is is a threat yeah he's fully tied up he's gonna get a gun to his head and he's able to talk his way out of being shot by somebody Mm -hmm. who hates him uh the okay the plot needed it Needed it at this point because you need to add drama to the human stuff. Because you can't just have the snake being the only evil thing. Yeah. Owen Wilson's turn in this movie, <laughs> zero sense and zero setup and zero like, like all you have to do is give him one line at the beginning of the movie with showing his like, that he's greedy. fearful of something or like, yeah, that he's like greedy or something like just to kind of give him like that you have a line, but like he he's not, he's just affable Owen Wilson until he goes and has a private conversation with John Tavoit and fully gets turned to evil mm-hmm. on an off screen conversation. I like his, his voice rationale is something effective. Like this whole thing's gone terribly. Like we're not going to be able to make the movie we wanted to make. We should at least get some of that sweet, sweet like poacher money. From Had anyone died skin. at that point? Uh, I think Stoltz was knocked out, and that was the worst thing. That okay, happened. so the snake hasn't started attacking them yet by this point. Uh, so, like, Owen Wilson hasn't been, like, he hasn't seen the size of the snake and been like, this is a good idea. Well, no, because, like, them setting up the fishing gear that night to try to catch it, I think, is part of the betrayal. Okay. Because, like, we're, we're going to do John Boyd's plan instead yeah. of the plan of, like getting eric stoltz to a hospital or whatever okay like no, and that makes sense yeah. i just yeah it was one of those things where as it was happening i was like this makes zero sense but i know it also how hard it is to catch this giant snake but mm-hmm. yeah anyways oh some thoughtful imdb contributor also wanted to point out that it's like uh it would make way more sense for john Voight's character to just raise all the baby snakes into snakes and then he'd be really rich like he doesn't just it doesn't really make sense that he has to go after the one adult snake yeah. when there's like, yeah. Cause if like these giant snakes are having babies, anacondas. those baby yeah. snakes are going to turn into giant anacondas too. So, but yeah. Yeah. And it's like, they mature relatively quickly. So in like three years, he would be fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, all right, Thanks. you're not wrong guy. But <laughs> for, for me, like you mentioned that movie though, was just to like blow up, like go to it's that like, wall, grab a couple of snakes and he's like, farm. okay, we're good yeah. to go. And then he leaves and it just, Eric Stoltz gets saved and then they're fine. Yeah. They're fine. And there's just a snake farm somewhere, which is kind of <laughs> sketchy legally, but whatever. This is a very <laughs> different movie that this guy clearly wanted to happen. Okay. Can we get into this? I'm to be users. Like, okay. Yeah. I'm to be users kind of generally suck. Like I don't, I, I, they 
get on bandwagons of loving shows I don't understand or movies I don't understand. And then they also hate things so vitrally that they'll give like one star reviews and, and then like swamp stuff that hasn't even come out yet with one star reviews just to tank it because it has a shred of feminism or something in it, right? Mm-hmm. But why do they take apart late 90s creatures features? Like they hate late 90s creatures features like my childhood was like anaconda deep blue sea lake placid eight-legged freaks and they're like no those movies are all garbage they're all pieces of junk how dare you like a 4.8 film like 4.8 well you made it a 4.8 yeah it's pretty pretty low uh, I mean, critics technically are lower at like thirty five. But critics, or something. critics, I don't care about because critics thirty seven. There's yeah. seven point movies on here that I agree with that critics didn't like, and I'm just like, mm-hmm. yeah. Sometimes critics just like miss the point. Um, also, Rotten Tomatoes is just like, is this two point five out of four star review good or bad? And it's like, oh well, it's that's a high mark, but they said really terrible things in the review. Like you know what I mean? Like I've seen rotten reviews that are two point five out of four. But it technically works out to like over six, which is yeah. their threshold. For exactly. And so Run Tomatoes yeah. is just like either being good or bad is like a broken system because it's like it could have zero percent, but like still be like everyone was like, yeah, this is an OK movie. It's two stars out of four. Mm-hmm, but everybody mm-hmm. thought it was two stars out of four. Anyways. Uh, no, but this is ostensibly for the people to have fun with a mass audience entertainment, like Ebert said. And. I feel like the signaling as to what sort of campy fun you're supposed to have with this movie is pretty clear. Like the poster, the the opening scroll, like the opening minutes of the movie with Danny Trejo panicking and freaking out. Like to like, okay. Are the Razzie awards supposed to find campy fun? That's fun. Or are they angry at stuff for being bad? This is a great question. They also nominated this for like six awards. Yeah. And this... it's like, well, is that a compliment? Cause they're saying like, this is a nice big old bowl of cheese for you. This, this, or... is a, this has honestly been a, a conversation since the Razzie started of like, is this mean spirited or is this just like honoring bad things? Right. And sure. it's a, it's a bit of both. Like, it's honestly, like, there's times where it's like, oh, that's just mean-spirited. Like, you're just being dicks. And yeah. sometimes it's like they're just honoring the cheesy stuff, right? When they give, like, Sly Stallone the award for the worst actor of all time, blah, blah, blah. Because, like, he mm-hmm. did Stop or My Mom Will Shoot and then Oscar. Like, a whole slew of things. Like, that's just them being, like, like, it depends on how the actor takes it or what vein it was. But sometimes they're just being, like, dicks. Like, this year, mm-hmm. have you heard of the new category this year? No. Uh, there's a new we... category that they created called uh, worst movie, worst movie, worst performance by uh, Bruce Willis in a film. Okay. Because he had seven movies that came out this last year. Just to acknowledge the uh, bad track Bruce is on right now. That he had seven movies come out this last year, or six movies come out this last year, and they're all like pretty yeah. lame. But it's like, yeah. okay, I don't know. I. Razzies are like sit in this weird box of just like really seems pest like mean spirited that I don't care, but then I do yeah. find it fun when like Sandy Bullock shows up to her reward ceremony the same year she won her Oscar for Blindside. She also won a Razzie for uh, All About Steve, mm-hmm. and then she showed up with a giant bucket of like All About Steve DVDs and gave it out to everybody in the audience and was like, yeah, yeah, I've I've seen that that acceptance speech or like Halle it's, Berry. it's cool when people get into it yeah, yeah Halle Berry showed up for hers too the same year she won Monster Ball she also won for, for like uh, Catwoman Catwoman or yeah 
So I was like, yeah, yeah, there's some nice things when they get into it, but it's when they don't get into it that's like it seems like bullying a bit. Yeah. Like I just like And yeah, this didn't win anything to be clear. It, it just was nominated. So it's it's a weird thing where it's like I feel Ebert knows this is a like creature feature. He says that. Mm-hmm. And it's like a high adventure thing. He's so, he's never going to say it's like bad. It just is what it is. It like chose its goals and succeeds, I feel. I agree at its goal of just having a bunch of characters run afoul of a giant snake. And that is the entertainment for 90 minutes. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if like IMDb people are, cause I, I guess I am found, I am in this sometimes like with, uh, with battlefield earth, what do you give that? Right? Like, I think I have it at a one cause it's so bad, but is it a 10? Cause it's so bad. That's what I mean. Like, you know, I, if I was an IMDb user, I would be purely subjective in all my rankings. Okay. Like, cause I think you have to make a choice. You can't just like there, the, the idea that you as a, as a person can have objectivity when it comes to any piece of art or mm-hmm. anything is I think just pure arrogance. And that's why I struggle with the Academy Awards being the best picture of the year. It's like, that's kind of bullshit. You're just a bunch of dudes uh, voting. For me, it's like it, it'd just be pure. So it'd be like the the out of ten would be how much I enjoyed it or how much I liked it. So Battlefield would yeah. be a nine out of ten because I love Battlefield Earth and I know it's bad, but I'm giving it a nine out of ten because I had a really great time. Whereas a movie that like could be like the same vein of badness, I give it a two because I didn't have a good time with it. Or a movie mm-hmm. I thought was only okay, like The Fighter that everybody loved that I was like, Oh, that's like a solid six. And it's like, why are you putting that below battlefield? It's like, well, because I had a good time with battlefield and I thought the fighter was okay. Sure. Does it mean that the fighter is less important? It's like, maybe, but you don't think so. So who cares? I just, I just wonder if the IMDb score we're seeing is sort of reflective of that. Like what, what do you do with a bad movie? That's like fun. Cause like I've given like super Mario brothers, like a higher score or like Cobra, a high score, but it's like, well, it's cause they're bad though. Yeah. You know? So like, that might be how I tend to do it. But then if something's like egregiously bad, that's what the bottom of the scale is for. But like, that's know? what, like w- there's like this general rule on IMDb where it's like, that's where sixes live. Like where it's like, it's not a poorly made movie. It's just a bland zone. Yeah. Kind of thing. I think I reserve the five for that. Yes. Like right in the middle of the road, the grayest of the gray. But like when you, you know? drop below five, that's like in the era uh, area of like, this is a poorly made film. Like yeah. production wise, it's not like a Hollywood feature with a good budget, with good special effects, with good, decent acting, like with competent acting, like Anaconda fits all of those categories. Like this is a big budget movie. And they're saying, like, no, and it's all, like, 4.8 just doesn't seem... Like, a 5.6 for Deep Blue Sea is, like, okay, I can get more on board with that. I totally disagree. But, like, why does Deep Blue Sea get the 5.6 and this get a 4.8? Because I'm, like, no, these are the same ballparks. Like, this is... Yeah. Whereas I feel like genuinely good movies should always be over 6.2 on IMDb. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know? Have you heard of this this uh, zone? You're on Letterboxd, right? Yeah, yeah. There's this thing about like 3.9s on Letterboxes. If you go on Letterbox, you just like look at all the movies that are 3.9. They're all like a great films, but like everyone's like confused. Like, why is it up to four? Because they're like they're not amazing, like world changing films. They're just like really good films we all like. Like, I'll give it a four or yeah, something. But like, uh, some people give it a 3.5, and it's like so it averages out to 3.9. 
And it's like, no, that's a really good movie. They're just not like the greatest movies of all time. They're just movies mm. that you've seen probably four times, even though you've only seen Eraserhead once, but you've seen this movie five times. And it's like, well, Eraserhead is more important, so I give it a higher score, but I liked this movie because I've seen it so many times, like Blade. Mm-hmm. So is Blade better? Because I've seen it more than any than Eraserhead or Inland it's Empire. To, it's easier to swallow. Yeah. I don't know. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like that's why like that's why all of these Comfort ratings are so subjective. Movies. I just yeah. like I don't understand this four point eight ranking. <laughs> like it's just. It's I will baffling. say personally, like for how much like irritation I was in. While I was watching it, like I was on the verge of going to the hospital for a week yes. with like itching. Uh, it's it was able to punch through that and I was still laughing and having a fun time, uh, which I think was sort of a backhanded compliment I gave to. Uh, oh, what's that to like the horror movie we watched the franchise pictures with the bouncing ball? Oh, fear.com. <laughs> fear.com. Yeah. Where I had like a dental issue during that, but it was like. I was just happy to like escape for a little while with some dumb stuff. Like it actually so pulled you out of so. your real world issues. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. That this, is to this be fair, that's a remarkable that thing because I know Dog Soldiers is probably a good movie, mm-hmm. but I ate supper while eating it and then slowly got food poisoning while I was watching it. And now I'm like, that movie makes me think of throwing up and being sick to my it stomach. It couldn't transcend <laughs> yeah. the ailment. Yeah. So like I got food, I got like food poisoning during Warcraft. Yeah. Like I watched it with a friend and ate some like nachos or something that weren't they're sitting under a lamp for too long or something. Yeah. And then had to be like driven home with like, like photosensitive migraines. And yep. I was like, oh, that was a pretty good movie. <laughs> Like, I still think it's pretty good. I, I, really, I mean, like, I didn't have a good time, but I liked it. So Russia and China are not wrong on this one. Like, I don't get what America's mad about. Yeah. But yeah. Anyways. So yeah, in a similar spirit, like, yeah, who's gonna die next? What's what is the snake gonna pull off? The the voice of the snake being oh, Frank Welker. Frank Welker's like, I I don't know if I've ever seen like yeah like snakes snakes like they hiss. But the moment their mouths are open, they can't make sounds, but they're like, nope, we don't care. We want Frank Welker to show up and like growl, roaring, growl, roaring, screeching, all snake sounds. And it's like Welker shows up and he kills it. Like he is, he proved himself to be like maybe the greatest like voice actor of all time. Like I don't even think like who, who can compete? Like I can maybe think of one person who has a perfect job in one job. Like meaning Mm -hmm. like Dan Castellana is like. He's going to be seen as one of the most important voice actors all time because he is Homer Simpson. Yeah. But yeah. is he the greatest of all time because he's done all these things? It's like, no, Frank Welker has probably <laughs> the like greatest versatility. career. Yeah. I mean, he's also on The Simpsons is like, oh, it's Santa's little helper. Or like there was a flock of birds in this scene. Yeah. So we had Frank Welker do it. And he's and like, he yeah, so that. he's a boo in uh, Aladdin. But he's mm. also the Cave of Wonders. Yeah. Right? And, like, he's also, like, all these, like, so he's the animal guy, but he's also, like, the deep, gravelly voice bad guy, like Dr. Mm-hmm. Claw or Starscream and Megatron. Or Satan. Not Megatron. I, mean, I was wrong about Megatron. He is the Galvatron. He's Galvatron. Okay. I mean, he's OG Megatron, but... Was he the like original? The I thought he was eventually Galvatron. I don't think he was the very first Galvatron. I think it was, like... Oh, in the 80s? Yeah, like, I think I, in that original movie, even the movie, I think, was a different Galvatron. It was a different person. Anyways, oh, okay. I, I don't know my Transformers like everybody else says, but he eventually took over Hugo Weaving in the films. I know that. So, yeah. So, he's he is Megatron. Mm-hmm. So, like, mm-hmm. he... Yeah. 
Like he's just important. Like he's also Fred and Scooby. Like he's also like that's no, like for his range. silly for sure. Like I'm pretty sure he's also doing these like baby snakes where John Voight's talking about how they're still deadly. Yes. <laughs> it's this tiny little snake he's holding. Uh yeah. I guess getting to the kills of this movie, I kind of falsely remember this movie being R rated. <laughs> but it's it's PG thirteen. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I went and saw this in theaters. I saw it at the movie dome. In 96, in June or July, whenever it showed up there. That was the first time. But yeah. 97. So yeah, this is the first time I'd ever been to the movie dome in my life was to go see Anaconda. <laughs> okay. So I was pretty. Over the summer. Yeah. yeah. Um, And then I, 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 I often, this is the thing I actually misremember in my life. Do you remember all the little movie theaters we had in the city? Like the Cineplex had a bunch of little movie theaters. I remember most of those being famous players, but there was a little Cineplex. Like London that Town I saw Square was one. one. At. Yeah, like a yeah. second run, but like Northland Village, like mall, Northland Mall mm-hmm. had mm-hmm. A, like four screen Cineplex. South Center had a four screen Famous Players. Uh, North Market Mall had a Cineplex. Uh, I always misremember this, but I saw I don't. I always thought it was like, no, I saw Anaconda at Northland, but no, I saw. I know what you did last summer at Northland, and this at okay. Movie Doom. So. Yeah, before the megaplexes kind of replaced everything. So it's like less theaters with more screens. Yeah. Was the move. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Uh, it was, but yeah, it was. Yeah. Eventually it was like these. Yeah, let's put all the movies into one house rather than just have four screens everywhere. Type mm-hmm. of thing. We got Gosford Park, baby. But like, some of those Matrix. screens are so small, man. Like I remember yeah. there's this one. Do you remember? Did you ever go to the Southland one? Like Southland Crossing? I don't distinctly remember. No. Okay. It was like, it was, I from, I vaguely remember it was like eight, eight, uh, columns wide, like eight seat wide rows mm-hmm. in this really long room to essentially like, like my TV in my living room now is probably a bigger perspective than if you sat at the back of that theater watching a movie. Well, I just remember the theater. We went downtown to see bad Lieutenant had yeah, like a similar uptown. small screen vibe. But like, we, we ended up seeing Abbotsford. Bad Lieutenant on the bigger one. It was just a really odd-shaped room where they had these utility spaces throughout mm-hmm. the chairs. So we had to, like, go sit in a spot so we didn't have these railings in our eyesights. Kind of weird. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. Yeah. It's it's a lesser world now where we have, like, two boutique theaters in Calgary. One just reopened. And then everything else is giant, like, corporate stuff. At least the one in Eau Claire is a little weird. Like they I have do that appreciate one that we, odd theater and they get some different programming there. The, but yeah. The, well, I appreciate the one, the old IMAX theater is my favorite version of a theater in that room. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, you get like that. One. You get the stadium seating, but in the old seats and it's it's just fun. And you're watching Synecdoche, New York <laughs> yeah, or something. Exactly. <laughs> like, well, we watched Dune. Right. We watched Dune in that room. That was like our original one. Uh, yeah. Like we did watch 80s Dune. Dune. Um, yeah. But yeah, like uh, it's... Those I do I do have fond memories of those days. But anyway, so I saw Anaconda in theaters, and I would not have been allowed to see it if it was a hard, it was an R-rated film. Yeah, yeah. I just remember like J Lo open scopes the snake real hard <laughs> towards yeah. the end there uh, of the first skirmish. Like it's the one that gets Westridge from from the tree or whatever, and then they battle it with guns and really blow it apart. So I was like, wow, I guess it's dead. Like it has to be the side of its head opened up, right? But then another snake is there to battle at the end yeah. in the fuel depot. 
Uh, and we get our scene Ebert was hyped about where John Voight's character gets eaten, spat out. He winks at the character and then collapses. And Ebert basically like can't help himself spoiling this a bit, but with no context, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. He says like his final scene, which he plays with a wink, yes. will be remembered wherever great movie exits are treasured. <laughs> Here's the thing. That whole sequence is actually a pretty fun. So I didn't have, I didn't care about the cinematography once, Bill Butler's cinematography, mm-hmm. until that sequence. And you had that one great shot that I don't know I didn't utilize more of you're inside the snake's belly seeing yep. John Voight being pulled up in being yep. eaten. And I was like, There's oh, that was rubbery a rubbery flesh all around the camera. Oh, yeah. It's and it was a fun scene. Like that whole sequence is a solid sequence of John. Yeah, you're right. Like he gets regurgitated and then he winks. And it's so, so silly and fun it, and great. Yeah. Just hang a hat on that performance right yeah. at the end. And then, like, some of the wide shots of the snake attacking, like, I swear it's just not behaving like an anaconda at all. It's like some sort of sides, like, sidewinder viper or something is coming at them in these well, the, on these ladders and stuff. How high that snake is lifting its body off the ground. It's a giant snake, and it's like, its, its head yeah. is never on the ground. It's always, like, 10 feet above the actors, and you're like, oh, that's a very strong snake. Mm-hmm. So. And it's sure fast at just like whipping up there. And suddenly it's there getting you. Well, that's the thing. So this uh, whole then... sequence ends. So they kill the snake earlier <laughs> and they think it's killed. And then they like, we're like, how do we get home? They end up at this like old milling factory thing. Yeah. For a good chunk of the movie, they've been down to like one barrel of fuel. Yeah. So it's like, dude, we got to stop. We got to get some fuel. So they're going through this like abandoned, like a. Uh, refinery or something yeah yeah and then they get there and then that's when the second snake shows up and then it's just like a really fun sequence of like there's this smokestack tower they they decide to start blowing things up and the only way to get out because the doors are blocked by fire is to go up this tower and how do they get off the top of the tower like the humans uh there's like a grating there they open it oh, and they dive I think in she literally there's just like somehow falls into the water the river like she, is not yeah because it's like an easily like 40 50 feet in the air and she just dives into the shallow like, I river can't jump no and then she has to yeah to but the snake the followers are up this like colander cylinder thing and then mm-hmm. eventually the building explodes and he goes like he's full-bodied in it like on flames yeah, and it's just like snake. this is hilariously great. Who's not having a blast with this movie? And then comes back for one final scare at the end. Yeah, burning snake, yeah. which is the one scene Ebert's like that looked kind of fake. Like I don't know. <laughs> to be <laughs> like, fair, there's like if you look at the movie pretty closely, there's some sequences where like the puppet and the digital, like even the colorization on the two of them, like are like oh mm. they didn't sync up here, huh? Like you could tell that the <laughs> animators were making something and then weren't cross-referencing with the or i'm pretty sure like the same cg model is probably used for both snakes yeah because there's like there's clearly a black snake at one point that is all of a sudden green when he's digital and then black again when he's a puppet but that's that's mincing words it's fine it was if it's like henson creature shop or whatever we're seeing here i think is it henson or is it stan winston i don't know but it's a hilarious looking snake creature yeah uh staring at the at the camera uh, there is the scene Ebert, <laughs> Ebert alludes to this as well, where it like strangles a panther, yes, and its eyeball pops out. Yep, and he calls it a poignant eyeball, <laughs> which is 
Yeah. So this, I think this goes into what I really appreciate about, like this is, this movie kind of like falls into what I really love about Roger Ebert as a, as a writer. And what I like about Mm -hmm. a lot of, like a lot of critics that I appreciate is like, they know what they, they can, they remember that film isn't all about just being art, like just pure, like having to say something, having to be important, having to be like, like these aren't all trying to compete for the Oscars. They just want you to have a fun. Yeah. Like there's, there's, there's a place for film to be entertainment or spectacle or something like this. And we live in in a world where now like there's a big battle going on with filmmakers where it's like, you're either spectacle or you're a film. And it's like, you can't, there's, there's no nuance there. Like even just the other day, Francis Ford Coppola like renewed his attack on film right now being like, yeah, like, uh, Denis Villeneuve is a great director, but he's making garbage now because he's making studio films. And and like uh, Kerry Joji Funukunga is like, how dare he make a Bond film? It's garbage type of thing. And it's like, but the, the these great directors have always been making studio films and mm-hmm. also art pieces on the side too. Like it's there's been this like I, I guarantee if you sat down with Francis Ford Coppola and you're like, well, what do you think about Howard Hawks films? And he'll be like, oh, they're amazing and important. I was like, there's no way Rio Bravo wasn't like a spectacle film. Like it was a mm. spectacle film, but time has changed our opinions on what spectacle is because now all of a sudden nostalgia is more important or looking back in an era is more important because Rio Bravo was like this big giant action movie spectacle, but of its era why couldn't something of this age be a big spectacle action movie of its era and be important 50 years <laughs> from now? I don't know that I'd go so far as to say Anaconda is important. No, no, no. I'm not talking. <laughs> I'm making I'm making the argument that like there's this like war right now that like films can't be both, right? And I'm not saying Anaconda is part of that, but what I appreciate about Rogers is that he recognizes this, that there's like a place for creature features to exist and be should be on screen, should be made should be put mm-hmm. out there. Um and this is a great example of that. Like I was like he knows what he like this is a fun movie and it should be made and people should like it. And not just that, like not just a fun movie. By giving it three point five stars out of four, he's saying it is a pretty important film. Like he's saying like I had a great time. I well he does call time. it yeah superior mass market entertainment like yeah. entertainment or whatever, right? Like it's like it's hard to make a movie that's like Got the thrills, got laughs. It's just a fun time throughout, kind of thing. Yeah, and yeah, I, I guess this does fit that bill. Like it's eminently watchable. You yes, know? like this is a movie you put on, and there's gonna be groans. Some people are gonna be groaning and just kind of like, ugh, but in a fun, spirited way. Hopefully, when that panther eyeball pops out, or like or Nathan, what Owen would you Wilson's list as face is what, on the side of the snake? What would you list <laughs> you as like uh, more like in the last 30, 40 years as a movie that's like both entertainment and spectacle and great films oh boy i don't know like it's it's a hard blend to like spielberg's probably landed that a couple times yep yeah i I told you spielberg is definitely up there uh indiana mm -hmm. jones and the last crusade got the same score as this movie oh from him (laughs) 3.5 okay he actually gave it's weird he gave raiders and temple of doom four stars and then he gave Last Crusade at three and a half. They kind of run out of steam here a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. And he gave, yeah. to be fair, he also really liked Crystal Skull because he gave it a three and a half too. Uh, so he is saying, like, in his opinion, again, he had as just as much time, a good time with this movie as he did with the Indiana Jones films at their worst. <laughs> High adventure. I mean, he's not wrong there. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just saying, like, it's, I appreciate that a, 
a voice like Roger exists in the world where he's like recognizing that there's it's good to have spectacle fun fun things in your life and not every single piece of film you ingest has to be like important filmmaking mm-hmm. because that sounds exhausting <laughs> yeah but anyways no, I, I, I guess I can't relate to someone who's only looking for Oscar prospects or something or just not even that uh, who's like only into like I only watch indie films and I'm like okay I, I know people who only watch indie films like I'm only watching indie stuff I'm like okay all right, cool. You're missing out on some fun things, but that's all right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's okay. It's not for everybody. Well, hopefully, one day they'll get the budget to make a big snake. And then that's movie. when those people stop paying attention to them, honestly. They're like, and yeah, the I used to love test. this person. They're like, oh, it's like those people that are like, as soon as like. Oh, a- David Gordon Green used to have it, but then he yeah. made Your Highness. Or yeah. like <laughs> Chloe Zhao is like, oh, I love No Man Land. And oh, but like Eternals is garbage. Like she went to Marvel, blah. Sold out. It's like, yeah. oh, okay. All right. We, we're, we're done talking for now. That's okay. <laughs> but anyways, I, I I have a blast with this movie. I'm, I'm having a good time. Not a, a lot of people sniper... die. Well, let's see. Pretty much. So. Well, okay. Danny we, Trejo. The, Danny Trejo kills himself rather than face That's the true. terror of the yeah, Anaconda. So the which snake only eats or kills John Voight. Yeah. The captain boat, boat, boat driver. Guy. Yeah. Jonathan Hyde. That's right. Yeah. Owen Wilson. Air grab. Owen Wilson is the side of the snake grab. Yeah. Yeah. And Carrie Wooher. Does she die? Uh, she is killed by John Voight. Oh, okay. Like, so the snake gets, only like, kills. Strangled with his legs or whatever. Yeah, that's right. Thrown overboard. Yeah. The, the snake only kills four people and then two other people die. So six people die in this movie. But the snake mm-hmm. only kills four and then there's a lot of survivors. And to be fair, they did dynamite a lot of snakes, so they kind of poked the snake as it were. <laughs> yeah, they do dynamite, <laughs> you know, a lot of snakes. Um, yeah. yeah, you got to be prepared. Yeah. Oh, and Eric Stoltz comes back with like a. That's what I mean. Like or... I was like, man, Eric Stoltz should have died. <laughs> I was like, in my brain, I was like, why is Eric Stoltz surviving? He was barely in this movie. Punish him for not for sitting it out. Yeah. No, he like wakes up to like shoot. Uh, I don't even think it's the final encounter with. No. It's it's the pr- the. Yeah, there's two fights with Paul Cerrone, yeah. like uh, John Voight's character. Uh, and yeah, he gets him with a trank dart. He falls overboard and then is gone. So yes. probably dead. But then he passes no. out again on his bed and then he's missing for the whole final battle scene yeah. too. Because it's just Ice Cube yeah. and J-Lo carrying them. Oh, but then they do meet the people of the mist at the yeah. end. And he's able to see that happen. That's so true. the tribe is discovered. Yeah. They get to make their film. And that's the real thing I was concerned about is will this documentary get oh, made? Oh, that was 100. That was <laughs> that was just as certain as somebody being regurgitated by a snake. Like that was, was like just at the end, a, this film crew is going to be like, yeah, we did it. Yeah. Yeah. That Which movie's never going to get released with. because they didn't take footage for most of it. But that's OK. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, yeah, and so many people TV died. Special. Yeah. So many people died making that movie. Like, I don't know. You remember that movie about lions that were like living with people? That like it was like that was, it took fifty years to make because when they first started filming it, so many people got killed and are maimed. Like Melanie Griffith got her face clawed off by these lines. Oh, okay, yeah, I vaguely know this story. Yeah. Anyways, it's just movies that where people die, like that many people die, don't typically get released. So I'll just have a big like dedicated to thing. <laughs> big at the dedicated. End. Here's the crew. It's seven. It's out of seven crew. Warren Westridge is gone, and it's Gary. out of seven crew. Four of them are dead. So the production assistant. Yeah. <laughs> um. 
Okay. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, can we get into one uh, aspect that I kind of wanted to... Oh, sure. I, I, do you want to pivot to MVPs, or are we just confirming we're on the island first? Or well, let's yeah, let's pivot to MVPs. Okay, okay. I think it's pretty evident we're on Ebert's Island with this one. Yeah, we're him. definitely. I've always been there though. Like I enjoyed this movie when I first saw. It. When did you first see it? Oh man, it was probably some years later. Like definitely well after it came out. Um, it's hard for me to remember though. Okay. Like I would, I would guess I might have rented it in like 2002 or something. Okay. Like back when you were, I, and then I, the main it's the weird thing is I mostly remember like being on a family trip with like my uncle and cousin and everyone electing to just be like, eh, Anaconda's Hunt for the Blood Orchids on TV. Might as well watch that. So we watched that as a group and it's OK as well in a <laughs> way where you're just watching people get killed by snakes and it keeps the energy going. But there's less way. practical snakes in that movie and more digital snakes, right? There's more digital stakes. Yeah, it's it's not as expertly made, but it's I think it's a four point seven on IMDb. So, you know, lost a point one there. Is it a four point seven? It is. That's nuts to me. <laughs> That's nuts, Nathan. That the mediocre sequel is right there. Yeah. 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 That's uh all right. Yeah, no, the ensemble they put together for this one is definitely way more in nineteen ninety seven and uh, more enjoyable. But okay. okay. So we're on the island. MVPs, you did the description. Yep. I have to go with... uh, I wrestled with this one a little because I don't know that I love John Voight, the dude, but he is so good in this. Yeah. As just like, yeah, the delectable edge of overacting, as Ebert said. Like, he's, he's... Extremely entertaining to watch, has tons of like goofy moments where he's just flaring his eyes and squinting and looking sinister. And... Yeah, it's just a it's just a riot to watch him be this river rat like a grifter character, this poacher. Yeah. So yeah, I had to go with him on this one. Uh, I also went with uh, John Voight on this movie. I okay. Just like yeah, because he is bringing all the energy. He's bringing all the menace. J Lo and like I like J Lo as an actor, but this is two movies in a row where it's like, oh man, we didn't really show her being. Like the feature. No, I, I kind of figure like I felt she kind of just disappears into the ensemble in this movie. Yeah. Like she's there, she's fine. Yeah. But she's she's not really given much more to do than anyone else. Like well, she's in one year from now, she's really gonna show her star power, like I think is the big thing. Yeah. Like yeah. she's gonna really show how much chemistry she can bring to the stage, like the screen. So um yeah, so she's just kind of there. Ice Cube is being Ice Cube. He's the next probably he's my favorite. He's extremely Ice Cube in this. Yeah, yeah, but he's just like, oh man, I gotta make a that, that the one comment I was gonna make that I was like, this I feel really weird that like he didn't capitalize on starring in a movie and create a snake themed song for this movie because yeah, if, if we were I ever to done do with a snake rap at the end right now, if we were ever, I'm gonna promise you this right now, if we were ever to watch Deep Blue Sea as one of our films. My MVP will 100% be LL Cool J's. My head is like a shark's fin. Because that will, like, I mean, there's so many good things I like about that movie, like Samuel Jell's death, like uh, Thomas Jane being dumb and like Superman. And LL Cool J's parrot is great. But like that movie ends on a high note with deepest, bluest. My head was like a shark's fin. I, I just yeah. like, I love it. I'm like, I'm, like, I'm all there for rap versions like will smith started off with 96's uh men in black 
And mm-hmm. then the people rode that train too, and I was just sad that Ice Cube didn't take advantage and make like an Anaconda theme rap. Didn't inherit the mantle of rapping about what the movie was about. Yeah. For his <laughs> yeah. like to have a big crossover hit. Like that makes mm-hmm. sense to me. But anyways, yeah. Unfortunate, like, yeah. John Voigt is my star. That would have been my star if he had written a rap. So, so Ice Cube could have secured it if he just stepped up to the mic and rapped about snakes for us. Just give me like, uh, I, like as soon as the credits hit, I was like, I'm going to hear Ice Cube rapping. Nothing. And I'm like, oh, this is yeah. disappointing, guys. We live in the 90s. Will Smith a year ago showed us how big a rap song could be. I think it's be. the same year. I don't even know if it came out yet. No, wait. It's 97. Wait, I thought it was 96. Oh, 96 is Independence Day. Unless he was rapping in Independence Day about No, he wasn't. Aliens. Men in Black, yeah. So Men in Black was, uh, what is that, May or June movie, July movie? He could have beat him to the punch. Yeah, he could have beat he... him to the punch. You're right. Okay, so maybe I have to be more forgiving towards Ice Cube because they haven't yet proven that like when a rap rapper, a rap artist stars in a film, they can make a huge crossover hit song. Because here's the thing. Wild Wild West is, a, I think, a fun movie. But the best thing about Wild Wild West is also the, the song. The song. So, which is ear, ears in the horizon at this point, but yeah, it's something I do enjoy when it does happen. Is a novelty song, yeah. That is like, this makes no sense outside of this context. This is amazing. Yeah, so exactly, yeah. So this is what I mean. So like, there's, I guess the Anaconda. You're right. So Anaconda gets a pass then because they didn't. They almost did it because they have an Ice Cube written song in the movie. But mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. I think my other like players of note would be Jonathan Hyde as Warren Westridge. Yep. He's definitely doing his best to camp it up as well. Yes. Uh, and then Frank Welker for his amazing snake vocalizations, Who? Uh, which Brittany pointed out was what we were hearing. And it was like, that makes sense. That's of course, that is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Who did John- Who Jonathan Hyde call? is like, oh, yeah, it's Titanic. Like he had a big year this year. <laughs> OK, good for him. Yeah. Like he he was. Hard to like. Oh, and he's also that's right. He's in Jumanji. He plays um Robin Williams' oh, dad with the big like mustache yeah. or whatever. Well, he's the and, dad, like, the giant rifle. He's the dad yeah. who then also shows up as a hunter because that's who he's scared of, type of thing, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He's a pretty good actor who shows up in villainy roles a lot, like just annoying villainy roles. But this movie, he's mm-hmm. not that guy. He's just like funny. Yeah, like early on, he's kind of the like frustrating member of the group that's like not on board with all the stuff but yes. we we soon meet paul who is much more sinister yeah kind much of more sinister. steals, steals yeah. the show which is funny that they but didn't yeah, make jonathan like, hide the guy who betrays everybody because he's like mm-hmm. he'll like oh man at least i'll get my money out of this and i can buy a new mansion or uh, more <laughs> servants or something like that but like they get yeah, own Wilson. new espresso machine yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, to be the heel turn or yeah, that's what I mean. Like Like, like, you're right because they kind of set up that he was the difficult one, so make the difficult one the one who is like the more difficult one. Like hey, whatever gets me out of this jungle fast enough, yeah, whatever something, yeah. But that's not the way it goes. Surprising turn. (laughs) Anyways, Uh, John Voight to me at this time would have just been like Mr. Phelps or whatever from Mission Impossible. Yes, like I wouldn't have ever guessed he had this kind of performance in him. You know? Oh, where I was like, no, for me, it was like sequential. Like I had never in my life seen a John Voight film until I saw Mission Impossible. Yeah. And I saw that in theaters and then a year later saw this in theaters. And so I was yeah. just like, oh, John Voight, the actor from Mission Impossible and Anaconda. Like that's where he began his career. It's like, oh, he's already an Oscar winner. He was in all this like well-regarded stuff from the 60s and 70s. But he had a like, giant, I don't know anything he, about that. He had a giant gap in his career. Like I think... 
I was looking at his IMDb because I was like, yeah, like he had a big career in the 70s and then his 80s were dry, like not a lot of big movies. And mm-hmm. then the early 90s were really dry. And then went on know. after this yeah. to do Baby Geniuses. <laughs> huh. So, and then... And then he got in with, fathering. Like, with Bruckheimer and did a bunch of Bruckheimer films and blah, blah, blah. Oh, I guess he would have had a bit role in Heat at this point too, right? Like he's yeah, like but I had like I hadn't seen whatever. Heat as a as an eight year old ten year old kid. <laughs> Fair enough. Parents yeah. weren't really showing me these like three hour dramas with some no, pretty intense. Action. I guess for me, I feel like uh, the compliment I want to pay to it is like this this performance for me sort of registers on like a Nicolas Cage scale of just sure. like this is just entertaining to see and hear these lines yep. thrown around. Like he's he's tapping into that same kind of neo shamanistic energy yeah. or something no, he, like i said he knew the assignment like, yeah. yeah he he picked up the assignment the way that and played it the way that the movie demanded and that's very similar to like how nick cage in wicker man who's like he saw this movie nobody else figured out what this movie was but he knew and john Voight knew like, this oh one. i can make this entertaining yeah kind of thing yeah yeah if he like so yeah it. i gotta give him props for just kind of finding the vibe and bringing a like something really funny <laughs> to the screen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It serves the goofy story we're getting here about poaching snakes and whatever, <laughs> but really it's just, it's just an excuse to see him squinting and scaring people. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's quite a thing. No, he's, he's, he's fun. He, he's my yeah. MVP too. So. Yeah. So unanimous MVP, John Voight, uh, and we're both on the Island hanging out with Ebert. Yep. Checking this one out. Uh, do we have a question for this week? No, you, you go ahead. A... I, I got sidetracked. <laughs> okay. Now, this is a this is a tricky question for you, especially because you did not get time to prepare. Because this <laughs> this is kind of like a weird category I've I've found. Of what are movies you know you've seen, but you forgot almost everything about them after you saw them. Oh like, wow! All That's you like a... really remember is that you saw it, but if tasked to really recount it, it would just be like, <laughs> yeah. But be more of a situation for me would be like if you told me the movie title, I would have been like, "That's how I would remember seeing it." You know what I mean? Okay. If you were like, "Oh, we saw this together," like we saw that together, and then I would take mm-hmm. a second and be like, "Oh yeah, I remember other things around seeing that movie." Like you and I, I have at least two. I think that we do have in common. Uh, I don't know if it was it, it's the case for you. I'll open with one though. Okay. Uh, I remember you were excited that James Franco was going to play a villain in an action movie, and we went and saw Homefront. <laughs> we saw Homefront with with uh, <laughs> no, Jason no, no, no. That wasn't the only reason I was excited for that movie. The other one was that it was Stallone wrote that film. Oh right, it's it was like a decades old script. Yeah, but Stallone is the off, sole right? screenwriter on that movie. But what happens in that movie? Um, I, just, I remember the cover of that movie. More yeah, than I actually remember what happens in that movie. Uh, Jason Statham has a daughter, and he lives in a small town in like Louisiana. And uh, James Franco is like a drug dealer, and they cross paths. And James Franco gets angry at Statham, and Statham has to protect his daughter from James Franco. Does she get kidnapped? Or I think something? so. Okay. But yeah, no, Homefront, right. I totally dragged you to the movie theater to see Homefront. It's like, dude, this is like a rare thing that happened. Yeah. I was uh, like, this Stallone written movie's coming out that he has nothing to do with. Like, he's not in it. He's not directing it. He's not producing it. He's wrote this movie. 
Like, which I, I guess was kind of like a Statham thing, right? Was like looking through old scripts that had been passed. Yeah, over. Parker was a big one where he like took on a Parker script, but also like I think that was a situation where Stallone gave him the script because they were doing Expendables together. Like, hey, I wrote this project for me to do in the '90s, and he's like, oh, I'll do that. That's what I'm looking for stuff to do. So okay, doesn't have two names. Also, that's the main reason I remember the cover. It's like called it, Homefront. It, like one of the titles is definitely Homefront, but I swear there's like the same image, but it says like Safe House or something or uh, whatever. Like it's, no, Safe, it's something safe House totally came out at the same time and it has a very similar font. That's not the title. I'm saying it has two titles. Okay, I'm I don't remember. That's definitely true. That might be the but piece okay. I don't remember is the other title. <laughs> okay, one was one I rented and was hoping would be like, how could this be not memorable? It's like crazy monsters and stuff. It's Phantoms with Ben Affleck. The oh man, I have I have fully seen Phantoms, and I only remember very little things about that movie. Just seconds of Phantoms have stuck in my brain. Yeah, it's not the story. There's some sort of town. There's some sort of Actually, like uh, Lovecraftian horror is yeah. happening. The, but it's the one so thing I remember the most about Phantoms is yeah. the joke in, in Silent Bob goes to Hollywood, like straight back. Where they about make being really a joke. excited about phantoms. They're like, yeah. like they're talking about Ben Affleck, and he's like, "Yeah, dude from Phantoms, yo!" And I'm like, "That's great. That's a good." Line. I think Jason Mewes' line is like, "Ben Affleck was the bomb in yeah, Phantoms." That's what ben Affleck was the bomb in Phantoms, and it's like, it's, that's a good line. That is a good line. Was oh, the bomb about Phantoms? Actually, okay, I do have a couple because I just downloaded okay, them. Being okay. like, I saw this movie. I remember not liking it, but I I saw it. And I have no idea what happens in the movie. Dracula 2000. Okay, which I think shares a filmmaker with uh, Drive Angry. Yes, is it's Patrick right? Lucier, who's the editor editor for Wes Craven and the screen okay. films and stuff like that. Yeah, Patrick Lucier, who also did My Bloody Valentine. Um, yeah, Dracula 2000, which was infamously bought. The script was bought by the Weinsteins because they liked the title, and then they had the script <laughs> thrown away and rewritten it. We just like this title. We want Dracula 2000. That's what we want. Um, Yeah. Dracula 2000 is definitely one. Valentine. I've I've fully seen it. I have no idea what happens in that movie. There's a movie that's just called Valentine. It's a slasher film. It's a Valentine's Day slasher film with uh, David Boreanaz, Denise Richards, and Mary Shelton. Okay. Came out. (laughs) I know. I couldn't tell you. Uh, I remember... Nothing about that movie, but I totally 100% saw it. Cruel Intentions? Same, same. I've mm-hmm. seen Cruel Intentions. I can't tell you what that movie's about. Okay. So there you go. I'm giving you a list. The Skulls? No, I no. saw The Skulls. Is is Paul Walker in that? Yeah. Paul Walker and Joshua Jackson. Is it about Jackson. a gang or something? No, it's like a college dorm, like fraternity, secret fraternity. Oh, secret fraternity group. Okay. Yeah. That checks out. Covenant? Oh, I saw Covenant. It's all, all of my movies are from Is like Is that like this, young adults kind of adaptation? Uh, it's like Rennie Harlan magic movie with like okay. bad acting teens. Uh, yeah. Honestly, okay, so this is all hitting to me in a certain era. There is an era of film when I was in high school where I tried to watch, I watched anything. And mm-hmm. I would go to the video store and rent it and eventually worked at the video store and I watched a bunch of stuff. And like... They're just also blah. I would never have seen those movies today, but I just watched them because I could. And yeah. now I'm like, I have zero. The Emperor's Club was one of them. 
Like I don't. Do you remember <laughs> the Emperor's Club with Kevin Klein? Like the, it's like a. Oh, okay. Kevin it's a like Dead Poets Society ripoff. Okay. Yeah. I do not. I, c- I, I remember I watching not. it. I have no. I couldn't tell you what it was about. Like a single thing that happens in that movie. <laughs> One for me, like despite having subject matter, I should be very keyed into is Mighty Joe Young. Like oh. it's giant ape. And I know that there's giant ape in it, and Bill Paxton, I think, was there. There's that's, that's like all I have. There's I I was doing research for a batch I was gonna propose before we did Planet of the Apes, which was like was it like a going ape ep- thing where it was gonna be more like ape movies from other things ape yeah. stuff. Yeah. And Mighty yeah. Joe Young was one, and I was doing research on it, and I saw this image of Mighty Joe Young hanging out in like a cityscape, and I was like, huh, I don't remember Does that, that in the slightest. <laughs> And I saw yeah, that movie. I basically remember like open fields and like a jeep, and I think that's because it's on the poster. Yeah, <laughs> and know? I was just like, "Wait, he goes to a city at one point? That would be cool, wouldn't it? That would be cool, right?" Like, yeah, no, it's all from that you think era. That would sunk in, yeah. Buddy, and then mm-hmm. have you seen Buddy? Rene Russo and, a, and a, a dude in an ape suit, a gorilla suit. No, yeah. I did not know that was an ape. <laughs> that was an ape film I saw, and I don't remember any of it. Free Willy okay. two. Three? I don't remember. I, all of them get jumbled in my head. What happens in Free Willy? Oh, I saw Free Willy three in a theater, but yeah, I don't. I don't really remember what goes on. Yeah. Uh, although I know in hi- like reading through stuff, it was like it was an animatronic whale. Like they did, they harmed no whales after the first one. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. they just had robots. Uh, this next one's gonna sound like a bit pointed, maybe to someone, but it's this Peter Berg movie, The Kingdom. Oh yeah. With like. Jason Bateman and uh, Jamie Foxx. Jason Bateman, Jamie Foxx. Like, the main thing about it was it has, like, a kind of long-cut action scene towards the end. Yeah. But it's just just so vaguely, like, just Iraq kind of desert war stuff. But, like, Paul Greengrass-style filmmaking, too, right? Where he was... Oh, yeah. What was that? Green Zone. Would Green also Zone. probably fit into this. No, I'm there's some like, there's movies from this era. I don't remember much about it. I don't yeah. remember much from Green Zone, and I was like, the math on Green Zone should work out because I was like, oh, I like Paul Greengrass, I like Matt Damon, Brandon Brendan Gleeson is the bad guy in that movie. Why yeah. did this not work? And it was like I, I mostly remember him doing like a Texas accent and that not working. And that was real bad. Him trying to do an American accent was terrible. And it, I think it was trying to be something about like bad intel or, or yeah, something. like it was real villain yeah. or, or torture doesn't lead to good intel. It, maybe, it didn't. Or... It didn't go well. That's for sure. Uh, Kingdom was like first of all, uh, Peter Berg is a terrible filmmaker. Like he, <laughs> I do not like him. I've like this is prior to his success with Hancock, I guess. But yeah, even yeah. Hancock is like not like that's the best no. one of his bunch. Like that's Hancock is such a weird movie because it's like it's it's one movie and then it just stops being that movie. And I stopped watching it. I think I I 55 minute ruled that pretty oh, much. Like it, it got to like a juncture where it changes tones so hard. And I was just like, yeah, I'm good. Like I was at work <laughs> or something. And we're just like, and now we've seen the part of the movie that my coworker likes. Let's just watch <laughs> basketball. It's like, yeah, it's him being drunk and flying through things and stopping villains like really dangerously. Mm-hmm. Um, Once the deeper lore is discovered. It's yeah. Just, it's like, like, oh, like this ancient Greek gods situation. There must always be two or yeah, something. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, he... Because, like, man, I'm even thinking of, like, he has that Boston Marathon movie that, like, people... Patriot's Day. That people love. That I'm like, this is not good. This is not a good movie. Like, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. this is a tragic situation. He made a bad movie about it. He also did... He loves Mark Wahlberg. Deep, Deepwater Horizon. People loved that one. Oh, was the like, oil that was rig. Movie. 
Yeah. Uh, Battleship. I'm gonna put Battleship <laughs> on this list because I still yeah, like we saw that man. in theaters, and I'm like, what happened in that movie other than a really bad ACD song, ACDC song hit during these old veterans, real life veterans arming up a real life battleship to go fight an alien. Like, I was like, what yeah. is this effing movie we're seeing right now? And how come nobody said, you sunk my battleship? Like, it's the easiest thing in the world. Have Liam Neeson say, you sunk my battleship. And that's it. That's all you need. So angry. You even fan service people who like the board game. <laughs> yeah. No, but like, no. that's like the most, like, that's the only thing with Battleship is you sunk my battleship. It's the only marketing tagline. I forget why. I remember leaving that movie being like, that movie would have been good if it was more like contact. <laughs> and then I was like, <laughs> why would it endeavor to be that? No, like but for me, like, it was like, I, I just know. wanted them to have more fun. And it wasn't fun. It was they should like, have like been able to communicate with the aliens at some point and realize something, but nope, nope, <laughs> no, it's not what it uh, cares about. I, I actually have no idea about what happens in that movie. I can't remember a single thing, other than the fact that like they didn't do certain things. That's what I remember. <laughs> like I was like, why did nobody yeah. say? Yeah, no, but it's a certain class of movie that just kind of exists. I think I probably encountered some of this when I was in the hospital, just with cable television. Okay, and be like. Oh wow, this movie, yeah. Why why not have Black Dog be airing? I, I actually right never saw Black Dog starring Randy Travis. Patrick Swayze. And Randy Travis. Mm-hmm. So who sings a song over the end credits, I'm yep. pretty sure. Pretty so sure that happens. He got it right. Is it yep. Star it stars Randy Travis though, doesn't it? Isn't he the main character? Isn't he the black dog or is he the bad guy? No, I like Patrick Swayze struck me as like the main guy, but the, he kind of has a posse of people that he trusts. What is uh, that movie about? <laughs> okay, I, I, I only caught part about. of it on cable TV. It's it's truckers, and Patrick Swayze is like doing one last like illegal gig, like smuggling weapons or something. Mm-hmm. But then it goes awry because uh, Red, who is played by. <laughs> meatloaf that's right meatloaf's and, also in that movie yeah and this other bad guy who's not played by meatloaf but i kind of wish he was uh they kind of hedge their bets that like swayze's gonna flake on them during this ba- gig and they like kidnap his family oh, okay so it's like they're trying to like force him to do this like gun run for them or whatever so a little bit like breakdowny. okay hey well good question um yeah, I honestly like it, it all like all kind of came back to me in a way. There's like this era of late nineties, early two thousand teen films that were mm-hmm. like so blah, like five, six out of tens that they were just like, uh, and I just can't remember a single thing that happened to them. Like win a date with Tad Hamilton. I actually remember that movie because I liked it when it came out. Um <laughs> Okay. No, it was like in laws title. I honestly yeah. like we watched the in-laws again. I remember that movie seeing it. I was like, what actually happens in this movie, the in-laws? And then we watched yeah. it for the franchise batch. And I was like, oh yeah, this is what happens. But that was, that was part of it was like, I remember seeing this movie. I remember being like, oh, Albert Brooks. I like that guy. I'm there. Michael Douglas. Cool. And then be like, what actually happens though? Oh man. You just reminded me of this Michael Douglas thriller called like, don't say a word or something. With, the only like, thing I remember Murphy. from that movie is the trailer where Brittany Murphy is like, <laughs> Bending her finger and being like, don't, says something. What does she say? Yeah. <laughs> she says something that's like, it all the trailers. Uh, Or the Sentinel. Sean Bean's the bad guy. But yeah. yeah. Do you remember the Sentinel with Michael Douglas and Kiefer? God. I, I saw that one, too. 
I did. I saw that as part of like a group like a class thing for some reason. We like rented that. And I think it's Andrew Davis's like last movie. Yeah. Which oh, sucks. Did he do that one? No, he did that one with Kevin Costner and um Ashton Kutcher. About the like Oh or are we thinking of a different movie? Sentinel No like, Maybe he didn't you know what? He didn't do the Sentinel. I'm thinking of two different movies, which I also I saw both in class situations. We watched the Sentinel, but then there's that one about the Coast Guard. I that's that's the, the one. Like that's the with Kevin Costner and uh, uh, Ashton Kutcher. Yes, that is that is the other movie that yeah that killed the Andrew Guardian. Davis's career somehow. The Guardian. Yeah, he, I was I was wondering what you're saying because I was like I don't think Andrew Davis was part of the Sentinel. Okay. Because no, the Sentinel is extra forgettable because I know <laughs> I've seen it and I can't tell you anything. I think he's maybe a bodyguard okay. for like the president. Uh, no, that's a great question. Secret Service. Yeah, it says right here. Secret Service. Okay, great. Yeah. There's honestly, the okay, I actually have a great question for next week. Okay. Because it's kind of be very similar vein. Uh, and actually, I'm just giving you a chance to think about it. Uh, okay. What is a movie that you like, but you often forget large parts of it, and that almost makes the rewatch like good every okay, single time? Okay, yeah. Th- this is a more positive spin on this thing where it's like, it's good that it's forgettable in key ways because then you can re enjoy it. Yeah, like there's like, you uh, know, it's a good movie. You just like, oh, yeah, I forgot how the movie ends though, or what happens in this sequence. And, but you remember, like, you do remember liking it. You, you have seen it multiple times. There's one big movie you and I have talked a bunch of times, but I'm I'm I know the more. But we'll we'll save it. We'll save yeah, it. Okay. So. Gotcha, gotcha. Anyway, uh, so that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you want to email us, ryanokavio.ca or nathanokavio.ca, we'll get it done. And you can also tweet at OK Video Podcast. Uh, next week we're looking at the real Nicolas Cage uh, as opposed to the fake one we got in this movie. <laughs> uh, in knowing. Uh, it was directed by Alex Proyas and awarded a perfect four out of four by Roger Ebert when it was released in 2009. Will we join him on the island? Find out next week on OK Video. Until then, I'm Nathan. And I'm Ryan. And you know what they say. It's better to... You should... <laughs> okay. You should try to wink more than you blink. See you next time. <laughs> that sounds like terrible advice.